Hello, my name is Simon. And my name's Gary. And this is episode 13 of EV Musings, a podcast about electric vehicles and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On our podcast today, we're taking a quick break from our series on individual EVs to put ourselves back in the position of someone who hasn't yet bought their electric car and isn't sure about whether it's a good idea. We'll be asking the newbie questions we hear from people who are undecided about whether to buy an electric car. Before we get started, I want to ask you, did you see that the UK is closing down one of its last coal power stations soon? And that leaves four remaining for the whole of the UK. Yes, about time, really. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. These places had jobs and I feel for anyone that has lost their jobs because of this. But the simple fact is we need them to close and we must move more to renewables, which, as we know, we have plenty of to sustain this country. I think that closing this is a sign of the times. Let's hope that the renewable industry continues to grow. Indeed, totally agree. So let's talk about charging for a moment. Anything happen of interest this week regarding charging? Well, actually, yes. Thank you for asking. For the first time ever, I've had two Polar BP Charge Master charges fail. Ooh. Yeah, I was coming back from London this week, decided I would like to drop in at a specific charger I know near Heathrow and get a top up. So I pulled into the charger to find that the error message about the emergency button uh, having been pushed all over the screen. So I tried to twist it to release, but nothing happening. When I rang the customer service, I was told that this unit has a reported fault and an engineer is coming to fix it Thursday. No big problem. I've got a backup charger about three miles away. So I headed over there, swiped my card, plugged in, sat in the car waiting for the charge to start. Connection error. Okay, unplugged, re-swiped, plugged in again. Same error. Called BP Charge Master, only to be told there's a fault on this unit. It's been reported. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, when I went back and checked the Polar app, these two charges were actually missing. They had actually been taken offline from the uh, map itself. So Polar had obviously updated the live status. I just found it annoying that two charges literally within three miles of each other were both not working. And this from a network with a traditionally fairly high uptime. Now, obviously, as EVs become more and more mainstream, charger availability and reliability is going to be critical. And things like this should not happen. No, indeed. It's it's annoying when it happens. I I get a feeling this may happen a little bit more as more cars start to use them. And uh, we start to see uh, maybe more maintenance needed on some of these um, units, especially the older ones anyway. I think that's right. And I think one of the problems that I had was not necessarily that it was out of uh, order. It's the fact that, well, yeah, it's going to be Thursday or it's going to be next week before somebody comes in. So, you know, we're already talking three, four, five, six, maybe seven days response time to get them fixed. And, you know, when when you're like with Polar and you've only got one charger at a location and that's not working and it's going to be down for a week, that's not good. No. Our feature topic today is called, well, we've called it Undecided, so let me set the scene. You've heard about EVs. You might even have seen one on the road, but they're not for you, are they? I mean, they don't go far, they take ages to fill up, there are no charges anywhere, right? Actually, as those in the EV community know full well, these are myths and legends, most of which are wrong. So let's assume you are thinking about buying your first EV. You don't know a great deal about them, obviously. Maybe just what you've seen in misleading Daily Mail newspaper articles or on Top Gear. So what follows are a list of the sort of questions EV owners get asked by people who are interested in getting EVs, but are not convinced. We call them the undecided. 
and we'll take each question and, and answer it with as much information as we can. So do you want to start, Simon? Yeah, so question number one is the one that trips everyone up when it comes to EVs. How far do they go? I heard they don't go far. The correct answer to this question is how far do you want them to go? EVs can go anywhere and everywhere a normal fossil fuel car can go. They're not limited by distance. What you really mean when you ask the question is how far do they go before I have to charge? And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So on the subject of charging, the next question then I, that I usually get asked is, well, how do I charge them? And the whole charging thing is something that people get hung up over. And it's an issue for one reason and one reason only. Most people are still stuck in the fossil fuel method of filling your car. And what you really need to do is to look at your car in the same way as you look at your mobile phone. Most people charge their phone up overnight. When they're awake in the morning, the battery's charged and they can use it all day or as long as the battery lasts. When the battery gets low, you find another plug and you plug it back in. And while it's charging, you might be working or making food at home or at the gym or you're not actually using the phone while it charges. But you look at the fossil fuel method of refueling. On regular occasions, you have to take your car out, oftentimes on a special trip to the refueling point. You take it to this specific location and at this location you use a fuel that you cannot find anywhere else other than these specific stations. The refueling process is relatively quick, taking less than five minutes, but what they put in is prohibitively overpriced and you cannot do anything else with your vehicle while you're refueling. So let's compare and contrast. Mobile phones, easy charging process, use any three pin plug, low price for electricity, can do this in parallel with other things, downside can take time. Fossil fuel, specific locations only, cannot do anything else while filling up, very expensive, handling toxic and explosive products, and the upside, relatively quick. If I told you you had to take your mobile phone out to a specific refueling station every time you needed it charging, that the fuel you used was four, five, or six times as expensive as electricity, and that you couldn't do anything else while you were charging it, you'd tell me I was stupid, and quite rightly so. But we're quite happy to do this with cars. EVs work along the phone charging method. You mainly charge overnight. It takes 10 seconds to plug in, 10 seconds to unplug, and your car is as full or as empty as you decide that you want it. The fuel is the same you use to charge your phones. You can do it anywhere there's electricity. While your car is charging, you can do other things. You can go to the gym, you can go shopping, you can have a meal, watch a movie, catch up on social media, spend the day at work, whatever. Of course, the elephant in the room comes when we're talking about a really long distance run. If you do any run that's longer than the published range of the vehicle, regardless of whether that's 100 miles, 200 miles or 300 miles, you'll need to recharge. So how does that work? And that's where we start to look at rapid chargers. Now, a little history lesson. Back in the mists of time, about three years ago, there were very few ways to charge an EV quickly. Since then, things have changed massively. Companies like Ionity, Fastned and BP Chargemaster have all installed chargers that will recharge an EV in roughly the length of time it takes you to grab a quick bite to eat, head to the loo and update your Facebook page. As an example, in a recent quote-unquote race between a Porsche 911 and a Tesla Model 3, the Model 3 was able to do a 1,000km journey quicker than the Porsche purely because the Porsche couldn't refill while the driver was eating and he had to make a separate stop for fuel. The Model 3 was charging while the driver was stopped for lunch and once he'd finished, he could get going. Now remember, the majority of vehicle journeys in the UK are less than about 20 miles. 
Now this does bring up a different topic about why people aren't finding alternate methods of transportation for this, but that's a completely different subject and not one we're looking at today. And what this means is that range anxiety or the need to find somewhere to charge is actually a lot lower than you would imagine, which then brings up the next question, which is, so I use a three pin plug? Yes and no. If you have a three pin plug and don't mind waiting for a little while, you can charge your car using that. Every new EV is supplied with what's called a granny charger, a cable that has a three pin plug at one end, a connector for your vehicle at the other end, and a box of tricks in the middle. If you're fine doing that, then no problem. I've charged my Kia Soul using a granny charger for seven months now with absolutely zero issues. If you don't want to do that, the government will pay you a grant to have a special home charger installed. This fits on the wall of your garage, inside or out, or outside the front of your house, and it provides a slightly faster charge to your car than a free pin plug. Even then, you have more options. What about charging at places such as shopping centres or car parks? A lot of these have chargers built in. Gary's nearest big shopping centre is the Oracle in Reading. On the top floor of the car park, there are a set of Podpoint Type 2 chargers, a not three pin plugs. They're free. Pay for parking and get charging for nothing. I live close to a local Waitrose that has chargers for free in their car park. I can do the weekly food shop and get my car charged while I'm at it, all for free. If you need anything faster, then there are literally loads of rapid chargers around that will fill your car to 80% from zero in about 30 to 45 minutes. Enough time to grab a bite to eat or relax. So the next question is, but are there enough chargers? Well, at the moment, there are more charging locations in the UK than petrol stations. That's right. More places to charge your car than refill your fossil fuel car. And that's just charging locations set up specifically for charging your car. If you include all the three pin plugs in there, the number goes through the roof. We're still a little way off parity where the number of chargers versus the actual number of petrol pumps is concerned, but that's coming soon. New chargers have been installed literally every day. BP Charge Master alone installed 16 this month. Instavolt have installed 72 in one month recently and are set to become the largest charging operator in the UK shortly. So this brings us to the next logical question. How do I find these chargers? Is there an app? Of course there's an app. There are several. In fact, each charging company, think the charging equivalent of Shell, Esso, Texaco, BP, have their own app. But there are apps such as PlugShare and ZapMap, which gather together all the information from these providers and list it in one convenient place. So you'll always be able to find a nearby charger that will fit your car. And at the end of the year, all newly installed public chargers have to be able to accept contactless payment for their services. This means you don't need anything other than PlugShare or ZapMap to find chargers and charge our vehicles. So we've talked about how many chargers there are and we've talked about how to find them. So the next question is obvious. Are these public chargers expensive? And the short answer is no. Some are more expensive than others, but at the moment, they're all way cheaper than buying petrol or diesel. The model that a lot of chargers are going to is paying a fixed fee per unit of electricity. Just think about that as the equivalent of pence per litre in the fossil fuel world. And the price per unit at the moment for um, a unit of electricity is between about 30 and 39p per kilowatt hour. Given that a kilowatt hour can take you anywhere from two and a half to five miles, depending on your car, 
that can work out at about eight pence a mile. The uh, HMRC, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs in the UK, allow 45p per mile for business travel. And even if you're paying a pound 30 per litre for a car that travels 40 miles per gallon, that's still almost 15 pence a mile. But here's the secret sauce that sets EVs apart from fossil fuel cars. The fees I've just quoted, they're up around the top end of what you'll pay. Some suppliers work on a subscription service. You pay a few pounds per month and you get a heavily discounted rate. At the moment, I pay, and I know Simon's the same, around 11 pence per kilowatt hour with a Polar Plus subscription of around eight pounds per month. That's going up slightly soon, but not by a huge amount. Plus, there's solar power. A lot of people who buy EVs get solar pa panels installed. The power from the solar panels, which is obviously free, goes straight into filling your car. Nigel, one of the first in the UK to own a Hyundai Kona EV, pays less than 0.14 pence per mile. That's 14 hundredths of a penny per mile due to the fact that it's all coming from the solar panels that uh, fill his Kona. Try doing that on a petrol car. Now the big question. Simon, how far do they go before I have to charge? How long is a piece of string? How far does your current ICE car go between fill-ups? It goes about 300 miles, right? Or 400, or even 1,000 if you've got an all-singing, all-dancing diesel engine, right? Or 120 if you have a big American V8 muscle car with a small tank. But remember what we said above. The reason you need this is because the only place you can refill a fossil fuel vehicle is in a petrol station. If you refill at home, as the majority of us can, why would you worry about how far you need to go before recharging? Gary has literally gone for weeks without needing to recharge his car, at least without having to go and specifically find a public charger to recharge it. He recharges it overnight using cheap rate electricity, five pence per kilowatt hour, and it's full in the morning. The strict answer to the question is anywhere between 80 and 360 miles. Some of the earlier versions of cars, such as the Nissan Leaf and the iMiav and the Gen 1 i3, didn't have particularly big ranges. But latest versions of cars coming onto the market nowadays have much larger, more efficient batteries that will easily take you 200 miles on the charge. The Hyundai Kona, the e-Nero and the uh, newer Tesla will all do a real-life 300 miles, give or take. All of these are higher in summer and lower in winter. Bladder anxiety is more of an issue than range anxiety. For more on range anxiety, listen to episode 6 of this podcast. So that covers a large number of issues people have with EVs, but there are a few more questions that get asked, and the main one being, I don't have off-street parking. Is that a problem? Well, we know a story about this, don't we, Simon? Indeed we do. So so I, I uh, went through an exercise, really, of uh, keeping a log for a week to al almost educate and prove this point in a way. I've put together a log uh, to put go through this and the information in around... How I charge. I've got no home charging, so this is kind of all mine, really. This is this is a, a typical use case. So I done a log for the last week, and this is roughly a typical week for me. So in that week, I done seven charging sessions: four rapid and three slow. Rapid is considered fifty kilowatt. Slow is considered seven kilowatt. Smallest charge was thirty miles. Largest was eighty miles. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Car sat at slow charges while doing something else. In those particular times, I was uh, working and uh, having lunch. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday sessions at a rapid charger to gain speed quickly. 
So with those particular ones, I was on longer journeys for, for business. And for those, I caught up on emails on my work phone. I checked up on social media and I grabbed a bite, bite to eat in that short time. The total cost for charging approximately 60 kilowatts at about 11 pence per kilowatt hour, £6.60 plus the cost of new motion charging. And that is equivalent of around £2. It's work charging, uh, but very, very low cost. We get it at quite a similar charge to the, the Polar. So all in all, about £8.60 in total. So I covered distances in that whole week from Hitchin to Dartford and back again, Hitchin to Cranfield in Bedford and back again, Hitchin to St Ives near Cambridge and Billinghurst down in Sussex, and, and back again as well. Um, in total, approximately about 430 miles in total. So you're saying that that 430 miles cost you somewhere in the region of about £8.50, £9 in total for your electricity? Yeah, for my entire week's worth of travelling up and down the country. That's not bad. It's, um, yeah, it's, I can live with that. <laughs> with the with a lot of the advertising that's going on with the main ice dealerships, one question they get asked a lot is, should I go for a hybrid? Sure. Hybrids are fine. They're fuel efficient. They're familiar. They act just like the car you use at the moment. But they have a small battery in them already. And most of them don't need to be plugged in unless it's a PHEV, which does. The problem with hybrids is they're not electric cars. They're fossil fuel cars. They have an internal combustion engine. They run on petrol or diesel. This means that not only do you have a heavy battery in the car, you also have all the expense of running and servicing internal combustion engine on top of everything else. So what about a, dare I say it, self-charging hybrid? What? Repeat after me. Self-charging hybrids are powered by fossil fuels and only fossil fuels. There is nothing about a self-charging hybrid that should be included in a conversation about electric cars. It's a red herring and a clever marketing ploy that's been banned in certain countries as being misleading. Don't fall for the marketing hype. So... We come to number 10. I'm still on the fence. I'm scared it might not work for me. Well, of course you are. So here's what I suggest. Go drive an EV. And not just for 20 minutes, run around the roads near local dealership like they always do. Get one for a couple of days. Use it as you would your current car. Check out the recharging. Use a rapid charger. Find out whether it works for you. There are several places that can rent you a vehicle for a few days. The easiest one is our old friend, the EV Experience Centre in Milton Keynes. Just about any EV for four days and three nights, with the charging included for around £50, more or less. Trust us when we because say it's, possible it's the only not work way to Try really and get a car that will handle your daily commute with the 12-piece drum set and keyboard that you always carry around and get you back from Central Wales to Cornwall, but not cost more than around £20,000 brand new. That might not exist yet. Will in the future, but not just yet. But you really won't know unless you try. What we've just gone through are a list of the sorts of questions that undecided EV owners will ask when they see someone with a, an EV. Have we missed any? I mean, I literally went through this conversation about 10 days ago with a colleague of mine who found out that I got one. And those were the questions that came up. And the key mm. here is to be to be supportive of people who are asking these questions and answer them truthfully and clearly. If they do need to do over 300 miles a day but can't afford a new, v that, a new EV that will do that range, then tell them. A second-hand one might be cheap enough, but it probably won't do the range they want. And what this whole exercise highlights 
is that there's still a large education effort that needs to take place to bring the public up to speed with EVs. I mean, as long as the I need a 500 mile range and a recharge time of two minutes mentality exists, there's always going to be pushback. And we've talked about this before on the podcast about how mainstream dealers are not educating potential owners about EVs. A lot of this is due to them not actually understanding things themselves. Couple that with the fact that you really need to use an EV for three or four days on a test drive to know it's right for you. And you soon see the potential issue with getting more of these onto the road. Overall, I hope that this helps any prospective EV purchasers to go forward with their purchase and join the world of the EV owner. So what I will say, and this is to echo really Gary's point around being supportive, it's it's very easy for EV drivers to be almost a little bit snobbish. I've got an EV, why haven't you? Can't believe you haven't got an EV car yet. What's holding you back? But the real fact is, and all the all the things that we've gone through are exactly those reasons. People are scared of change and scared of something that they've used, in some cases, for all of their life. And now you're asking them to change something that they not only is different to drive, is different to fuel, is different to support. Um, th- there's all these things. So I think the big takeaway from all this is that if you're a current EV driver and listen to this, and you come across those people that haven't got that experience or don't know, or even if they they come across as a little bit arrogant that EVs are not the way, keep calm, try and provide decent, educated and factual answers. And you'll soon find those those conversations turn in a different way. It's when we start kind of trying to almost force it down people's throats that, that people get turned off from this and we'll go against EVs. Well said, thank you for that. So let's wrap up by seeing if there's some cool EV or renewable thing you've come across that we can share with our listeners. So here's mine. BMW i3 sales worldwide are up 85% in the first six months of 2019. Shift in sales for electric cars is on the increase. This is the sixth year in a row where BMW i3 sales have increased. This is good news and a sign for the likes of BMW are taking this all very seriously. Along with the new E-Mini, which is built on the same platform as the i3, I kind of wondered if we'll actually see another i3 now with the sales of this being so good, or will they lay it to rest and allow the Mini to to take this forward? Do we have an indication of the pricing on the Mini? Uh, I I think it's going to be certainly cheaper than the i3. I think we're probably looking upwards of the 30,000 mark under 30,000 I would say and if you compare that to a brand new i3 which is upwards of near 40 if you're if you spec it out it's it's probably going to come in cheaper what's what's strange though is that the head of BMW recently has been said that no we're not going to make any i any more i3s after the i3s but then two weeks later it was no we haven't decided that the future is a bit uncertain of the i3. And then lo and behold, the E-Mini come out, which is on the same platform. So you kind of think, are they looking to get a more recognisable car into the market using the same platform that they've now got a production line for and just, you know, maybe sideline the i3? I, I kind of hope not. You know, as you know, I own one. And I, I, rather, I rather like it. So I, I hope that they... Uh, they they make another one, just you know, make some some decent feature changes, perhaps, and 
not necessarily change the look, but some of the, uh, the features that are within the car. But it it does make you think where BMW is uh, is going with it. I I agree. I mean, I love the the look of the i3. I like yours. I like everyone I've ever been in. But uh, we were at the Hearts EV meetup a couple of weeks ago, and someone turned up in a plug-in mini. I recall. Yes. Yes, indeed. And um, am I right in thinking that if they go for the electric, it's going to have the same basic form factor as the current Mini? Yeah, so the the new Mini is pretty much the same car, just stripped out the bottom and then put the i3 platform underneath it. And I think uh, the, the advantage they're going to have with that is a lot of people, in the same way as with, with mine, the Kia Soul, the looks of the i3 are very much Marmite. Some people yes. just do not like them. Whereas the Mini is a very, very classic look. I don't know many people who don't like the look of the Mini. And I think if BMW are thinking, we'll, we'll try and get the technology of the i3, but disguise it as the new Mini, I think that could mm. be a winner. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I kind of, personally, I hope they go both, uh, that they still have the i3 and the Mini. I just get a feeling exactly for that reason, is that if you put a Mini on the market, it's going to sell. It doesn't matter what it is. A Mini sells regardless. It's a it's a great looking car. I've I've had older Minis in the past and I absolutely love them. Um, but yeah, putting it in with electric is just, especially if you're already a Mini owner and you're looking to upgrade, generally you'll find Mini owners stay Mini owners. They don't generally go to another car. So it's like, it's almost like the natural progression for them the benefit of the mini is you can actually get an old mini that's a that's a genuine mini small car and then you can get the new mini which is bigger than my kia soul yes (laughs) not 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 so mini no (laughs) my cool thing is ingenie's recent announcement that that they are planning on doubling the number of rapid chargers in the uk at the moment there are around 2200 rapid chargers and Ingenia will install 2,000 more by 2024 because they've just had an influx of investment from the Cube Infrastructure Fund 2, um, which is a European infrastructure fund that um, is set up specifically for things like that. These points are going to go in at places like supermarkets and retail parks. And just for those of you who don't know or don't remember, Engini are the rapid charge company that don't require a membership or a connection fee. They work on contactless payment and they're compatible with all EVs, including our good friend, the uh, Renault Zoe, on AC charging only. So we've both used the Engini chargers. We both Mm. like them. Um, And I think 2,000 more of them in the country can only be a good thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've said it before. We just need more of these type of systems and services across the country that are easy to use. Payment systems are all contactless payment and they work across all EVs. I mean, you know, as well as I do, some of the people that we've spoken to, they they don't want cards and RFID cards or apps and things like that. They just want to walk up to the machine, plug it in and press, you know, press their card up against the machine. So, um, yeah, it's got to be a a good thing. And that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact us, Simon is at The EV Side on Twitter and YouTube. And I'm The Real Gary C on Twitter. If you're wanting a quick reference book to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Got Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent. And it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. 
We're available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it makes us feel loved and helps us know we're not just shouting into the void here. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.